great to be back here in Boston. This is the place um, where we, in 1996, did 40 days and 40 nights of intercession in here. How many of you were a part of that 40 days and 40 nights? Some of you were a part of that. And um, real historic moment, it's real loud. There we go. Uh, I think it was a historic moment. I've kind of revisiting this place. I believe those 40 days and 40 nights are still echoing in the halls of eternity. I believe heaven still hears those prayers. I believe none of the prayers that we prayed have been uh, not answered. They, they are still alive before the throne. I, I believe that discouragement, we need to dispel it. Jerichos were meant to fall. Goliaths were meant to fall. All God needs, though, is the David, and that's his difficulty. If he can get David right, then Goliath is no problem. And so I'm just encouraged. I, it was 10 years ago today we had the call Boston. And um, what great memories that was. Bad memories, too. <laughs> but great memories. I remember... 5.30 in the morning, going out on the Boston, what was it, the commons or where the government buildings are? Huh? The government center at 5.30 in the morning. It was raining. It was starting at 6 o'clock, and I got out there, and there's about 20 people. I get, oh, God, what are we doing? And there was the stage, a day of fasting, and the tent over the stage said Dunkin' Donuts. This is not a great start for a day of fasting. <laughs> 50,000 estimated showed up that day to pray and fast. 11 days after 9-1-1. And it's interesting, we had done a 40-day, a 21-day devotional for New England for the call in Boston. And on the 11th day, 911, of course, we didn't know. I wrote a devotional for that day, and this was the devotional. Something to this effect We have lost air supremacy because we have lost the power of winning the battle in the heavens through prayer. And in my devotional, I wrote The prophetic movie for this year is Pearl Harbor where it says they're building bombs, we're building refrigerators, we don't even know there's a war going on. Welcome to America. Welcome to Boston. Good news. God is gonna use the Goliath to stir up intercession. We're going to do the call in Detroit, right next to the, the uh, on 11-11-11, right next to the greatest population in North America of Muslims, Dearborn. We're going in there and we're launching 40 days and 40 nights of intercession. And we're daring to believe that God will invade the heavens over Dearborn and Muslims will have dreams of Jesus. We're believing 
As we launch 40 days and 40 nights of intercession in Detroit and in Dearborn, God has opened the door for me to walk with black Americans there in Detroit. I believe that God wants to bring black and white together into his house of prayer. It's interesting, there's a place called Eight Mile Road there. Eminem actually did a movie on it. There was a wall built there between the blacks and the whites, and loans would not be given to the blacks, but they would on the other side to the whites. And that place has been a dividing wall that has been almost a sign and a symbol of the division of races in America. Just the other day I was in Detroit, and interesting, we uh, were going to go to a black church to minister that morning from the hotel. We asked, how do you get to Eight Mile, because that's where the church was, and they, they said there at, uh, at the hotel, oh, we never go beyond Eight Mile Road. The church was on Eight Mile Road, and I felt in my spirit, when we go to Detroit, we're going to go back there, we're going to live in the black communities, and we're going to walk Eight Mile Road, black and white, together for 40 days. Say, God, break down the wall of hostility. Listen, if the church can't get united in the races, how are we going to expect that the politicians are going to get it together? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all ethnic groups. We've divided ourselves in, in dimensions, and I'll make some more comments on this thing. We're going to go to Detroit. We're going to pray, God, break the race issue. Bring your house. We're going to do it for 24 hours. We've never done a call for 24 hours. We always did it for 12. We're going to go from 11, 11, 11 at 6 at night to 6 at night the next, the next day, 24 hours, day and night, and we're going to have black worship throughout the whole thing. Because Motown has an anointing for sound. When I walked into the black church that morning, they invited some gal that didn't live in Detroit with her husband. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just feel like telling you. Right before I got up to preach, they invited a gal who looked like Dionne Warwick. She starts to sing, and there's something holy going on with this gal's song. And it reaches a point where her husband goes up and takes the guitar. He's left-handed, doesn't have his own guitar, so he takes the right-handed guitar and plays it upside down. Remember Jimi Hendrix? And suddenly when he hit a chord, the glory came. And the whole place spontaneously roared and fell on their faces. I was wailing like a, like a madman. I, I believe that God wants to raise up a prayer movement out of the black Americans. And the sound is going to penetrate the demonic powers. I'm still believing it's not too late for America. Glory to God. And I still believe that Boston is ground zero for the turning. And that's why we're back here, and that's why Bethany and Daryl are here. I look back to 11 years ago. I'm realizing what's going on in Boston. I've just written down prophetic history over the last, uh, the prophetic history that we've had together. 
And it's profound. The first time I met uh, Bethany was up in Loon Mountain, New, New Hampshire. And she was talking with me uh, about uh, this, this band called The End of Silence. It was Daryl leading worship with his motley crew. That we were. I tell you, there was something on you guys. And I, I don't know, I fell in love with Daryl. I fell in love with his fire and his passion and, and, his, and, and, his, and his sound. And then I remember Bethany telling me, your Nazarite message has given me understanding of who I really am. And I believe that Bethany and Daryl only a Nazarite anointing is going to challenge Boston. Half-hearted. John the Baptist challenge. God's going to do this. I believe he is going to challenge Jericho. I just wrote it in this house that contends my book. Just remembering the, 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 the word from Derek Prince. some ways, I don't even know where to go tonight, but I, I've just been so stirred in my heart. It says, I can find that. You want to say it? Why don't you say it? Boston is the Jericho of the United States, and when the walls of pride and intellectualism fall, that the Lord will pour his spirit across the whole land. Stand, stand up here. <laughs> Prophesy. <laughs> Boston is the Jericho of the United States, and when the walls of pride and intellectualism fall, that the Lord will pour out his spirit across the whole land. Okay. So is it a, to a true prophecy? Is it a true prophecy? I, 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 want, I, I, want to, I want to come out of agreement with the council of despair that stop believing the prophecies. If you don't believe the prophecies, you will never fight the good fight of faith. He says it in, in Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Stir into remembrance the prophecies that were spoken over you. How, this is how you fight the good fight of faith. Without the prophetic impetus, we will all wilt. The battle for Boston is the battle for endurance on the grounds of prophecy and the grounds of God's word. I'm going to give you prophecies, and I want to ask the question. When you listen to these, you've got to ask yourself, is it God? And if it is God, then you're responsible. Time out. <laughs> if it's God, you're responsible to bring forth the fulfillment of those prophecies. I'm not saying only God is the one who brings the fulfillment, but he uses instruments who believe and pray the will of God from heaven to earth and huge demonic powers resist it. 
It's interesting to me. Well, turn with me. So I'm just going to see where this goes. Turn with me to First uh, Kings chapter 16. talking about in, in chapter 16 about Jezebel and Ahab, the governmental leaders who have legalized sexual immorality for the whole nation, state-sponsored prostitution, homosexual and uh, heterosexual prostitution. This is a nation that started with godly roots. It's now been only 7,000 out of 10 million have not bowed the knee to Baal. They're offering up their children to um, Molech, welcome to America. Then in these days, 34, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. It's a very interesting passage, Heel of Bethel. He's a guy that rises up to rebuild Jericho when, remember, Joshua destroyed Jericho. He said, Joshua put a curse on Jericho, and he says, whoever builds, rebuilds this, this city, he will, be he, he will build it, and some translations say, at the cost of his firstborn. It's not what the Hebrew says. It's with his firstborn and with his lastborn. He doesn't say at the cost of, we've had the sense that somehow they were up on the wall and they fell and died. Archaeologists are finding that it's a different way. They've gone into the foundations of Jericho and they're finding that babies were sacrificed into the very foundations of the city. That's how he rebuilt Jericho, by demonic anointing fueled by the abortion of their babies. Time out. Do you get what I'm saying? Anybody hear what I'm saying? The blood of babies fuels the demonization of culture. Abortion is not a political issue that you could choose who to vote over. It pollutes the whole land with blood, and the civilization of America is being built for the last 40 years, 39 going on, on the blood of our bit. Welcome to Jericho. Good news. Jericho can get healed. Next time you see Jericho, turn with me to somewhere, Second Kings. Help me where, find where it is. I think it's chapter three or four. Brian, you can help me. Is it in two or Jericho? Well, that's where the, that's where the, uh, that's where it's named, but this is the place where well, I'll go into it anyway. So 
They come to Jericho, and Elisha, who's the disciple of Elijah, they come to him and say, the city of Jericho is in a great position and place, but the river that's going into it is filled with brackish water, and it is creating barrenness in the land. I'm going to tell you, there is a river of intellectual filth that's polluting Boston, but the river can be healed. It's interesting. This thing's creating barrenness. So Elisha says, bring me a new bowl and pour salt into the bowl, pour it into the river that's coming into Jericho. And from that day forward, the rivers were healed. It was years ago in Pasadena, California. I was interceding for my city, and I had a dream. In the dream, I heard an audible voice so clear and strong. It said, go pour the salt of your purity into it. I said, Lord, what does that mean? I wake up, what does that mean? That morning, we had our early morning prayer meetings, and I said to the morning prayer meeting, all the people that are gathered, nobody can pray a word today unless you know it's God. One girl immediately starts praying, God changed the name of Devil's Gate Dam. And instantly I knew it was the word of the Lord. Devil's Gate Dam, according to the Star News of Pasadena, was named after the resemblance to his satanic majesty, a rock there. It's the river that flows into Pasadena and into Los Angeles. And they named it Devil's Gate, and that whole region Devil's Gate. And I, I instantly knew what I was to do. There's a curse, and I'm going into the river, and I'm going to go pour salt into it. Weirdo. <laughs> so we went there and we prayed that the rivers of revival would flow into the city and bring fruitfulness, not barrenness. We prayed that, and we did, just did it. <laughs> Two years go by, an intercessor lady goes to Devil's Gate Dam and says, God, why haven't you changed the name? And, she, and, he, and she, he speaks to her, he says, the name will be changed and will be named after an Indian name. A week later, we're reading the newspaper, and it says, all agree that Devil's Gate is not the best name. But an Indian name, Haha Magna, which means flowing river and fruitful valley. <laughs> so bizarre. Us prophetic folks are weirdos. But we're people with us with a hunch. God poured out His Spirit in Pasadena, and in three years, probably 300,000 people came through our doors being healed and saved, and the power of God. 
I don't think it's fully fulfilled, but I dare to believe that there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. He just needs a new bowl and salt in it. A company of covenant. Just a small little salt-throwing company who can heal the waters of Boston. Derry Prince was my mentor from a distance. I've met him one time, but it's his book that gave me my DNA called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And basically the book is about fasting and its power to shape and change history. I met him soon before he died and before the first call, and I went as a son to honor a father, and he said, I told him, thank you. We're going to do this call in D.C., and I just want to thank you. He laid on his bed, 86 years old, and wept like a baby. I don't think it's an accident that he's the one that prophesied that Jericho, Boston is the Jericho of America. One of the most profound teaching, prophetic anointings in American history, Derek Prince. I got to believe his word still is in, in effect. If that's true, then the walls of intellectualism can be broken. God. And if it's broken, it will spread all across America. See, that. I want to declare that word and prophesy it. I'm sure he's looking on in the great cloud of witnesses saying, Son, carry on my work. I believe that Jericho was meant to fall, but it's not going to come. It's not going to fall by some normal means. You've got to get revelation. And the first thing you've got to do is get a revelation of the one who is the captain of the hosts of heaven. Joshua there facing Jericho has a revelation. He's seeking God. How do I take this city, this Jericho? And Lord appears to him, and a new revelation explodes in his spirit. I want to tell you, only a revelation of Jesus, the captain of the armies of God, is going to deliver us out of our small-minded unbelief. We need the same revelation that Joshua had. I tell you, Joshua surely left that place where he met the captain of the hosts of heaven, Lord Sabbath, his name. And by the way, Lord Sabbath is the name used of God more than any other name of the Bible. You ought to think it means something. He's the captain of the angel armies. That's who he is. And we need a revelation of the captain of the angel armies who are over here that are more those for us than those who are against us, these pagan professors with all their little petty little demonic gods playing the puppet strings of university students all across this region. I tell you, God's just looking for a people that will begin to unleash the angel armies. We just don't know who we are, and we don't know who he is. He says, I'm the captain of the angel armies. And then he tells him, you're going to walk around the city 
for seven days, seven times. Duh, you're talking about. He uses the weak things to confound the wise. Things like prayer. Things like fasting. Things like a little life band. When we challenged abortion seven years ago, the Lord spoke to me, raise up a prayer movement to end abortion in America. I want to tell you, I feel we are on that journey right now. You see, politicians can't end it. Preachers can't end it. We've got to deal with the angel armies. The realm, the Lord spoke to me in Boston out of a dream. No one's targeting false ideologies with massive fasting and prayer. At the source of false ideologies, and Boston is the portal. At the source are demonic spirits that are playing the puppet strings of professors and presidents of universities and politicians. I tell you what, until we deal with that realm, we're going to have only minimal effect on the nation. But nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about war anymore. You just talk about war and then you're labeled some kind of jihadist. Paul understood it. Our wrestling match is not with flesh and blood, but principalities and past powers, hand-to-hand -hand combat with demonic forces, holding people under the bondage of false ideologies. See, somebody's got to blow a hole in the heavens. So suddenly encounters can break out. People get saved. God, it's the only, only group that can do that. Acts chapter 2, the praying community. You know, you can have a good program, but programs don't uh, open heaven. They were all together in one accord, and suddenly out of heaven, people make so small a deal a prayer. Oh, God. When Jesus left the earth. The only thing he left behind was a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting has been rumbling with hell ever since. We need revelation that comes from above, a wisdom to penetrate the lie. Brian Kim here, you know the story. Four years, no meats, no sweets, Daniel fast. How many have heard the story? Not many of you. No meats, no sweets, Daniel fast, praying for one thing for four years. God end abortion. How's that for a prayer? We shoot so many scattered birds. There's something when you start getting laser beam intercession given by divine revelation. He has a dream. And in the dream, he sees all these people with this life tape on, the word life, in D.C. We launched this movement, and today there are probably 350,000 people praying, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, send revival to America. 
We launched a little life band with it so that every time you look at it, you could pray that prayer. It's not a nice idea. We bound ourselves to pray for the ending of abortion. We're challenging the demonic realm, false ideologies, and then get divine wisdom to penetrate the lie. Brian, we pray for a pro-life president. Pro-life president gets elected in 2004. He says, God, I'm done with my Daniel fast. I'm going to break it tonight at midnight. Unless you confirm to me you want me to go on my stay on my Daniel fast today. 10 o'clock at night, he's going to study, runs into a guy he doesn't know. Brian says, hello, my name's Brian Kim. The kid says, hello, my name's Daniel fast. He was a Jewish kid. Thousands of people have these life bins. I tell you what, God, God answers perfectly. Just got a report just the other day. I got an email from a woman in Wisconsin. She said her friend told her the, uh, told her the story. She said her friend lost her life band in a Walmart in in a Walmart parking lot. And she was very sad about that because she liked her life band and she prayed. Ten months go by, she's a waitress at Olive Garden. She sees a young lady sitting at the table where she's going to wait. She walks up to, you know, and she's waiting on this table, and she notices the young lady has a light band on, and she says, oh, cool, you got one of those light bands on. The young lady says, yeah. She said, where'd you find it? She said, I found it in the parking lot of Walmart. And I was going to have a, an abortion two days later, but when I were, read the word life on it, I decided I had to keep my baby, and this is her sitting with me right now. Oh, the wisdom of God. Oh, the wisdom of God. There is a hidden wisdom for Boston, and someone's going to have to find that hidden wisdom. And it comes like Daniel through fasting and prayer. Programs aren't going to cut through the demonic covering of these spirits of intellectualism and paganism. I want to tell you today, there is no safe place for the devil. Turn with me to Matthew 16. I am riveted by this passage. I can't get away from it. When Jesus came into the region, verse 13, Matthew 16, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, I think it's interesting that Jesus said, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Instantly, any Jewish person that knew the Bible would go to Daniel chapter 7 of the one, the Son of Man, who was brought to, to the Ancient of Days and given a kingdom and dominion. He was drawing something out of Peter. Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And instantly, they may be thinking, you're the guy who has dominion and authority in the heavens. One like the Son of Man. Say dominion. 
I'm in, I'm in Time Magazine this week. My name, Lou Engel, the Dominionist. <laughs> yeah, not complete dominion in this life. Jesus must return and he will bring his dominion to every nation, tribe, and tongue. But until then, we are dominion havers. We are those who are to bring the kingdom right into the gates of hell. You're at the right place. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In the Hebrew, it would have been, you are the Messiah. You are the coming one, the son of the living God. When he would say that word, Peter would know. He was thinking the Messiah was the one they expected to come and be the ruling king that would destroy all the enemies of the Jewish peoples. You understand what I'm saying? That's what the expectation of the Jewish people were at the time. Rome, they were under the tyranny of Rome, and there was a general cry, when are we going to be free from the tyranny of Rome? And there's an expectation of the coming of the Messiah, the son of the living God, the son of David, who would rule and crush all all the enemies of the Jewish peoples. That was their expectation. Jesus didn't rebuke him. He was that Messiah. He was going to rule in a different way, but he was going to rule. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We have this expectation, and now we know he's here. I think Peter exploded something in Jesus' heart when he said, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I don't think you can read that calmly. I think Jesus exploded in his spirit. I think he's been waiting for the opportunity to give, uh, for this revelation to be unleashed. Peter says, you're the one, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Psalm 110 God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Your people will volunteer freely in the student volunteer missions movement. In the day of battle, in the day of the force of arms, in the day of a great conflict, folks, you can't escape the teachings of Jesus. He is in conflict at war with demonic powers, not people, but demonic powers. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are brought as a footstool to his feet. Folks, where is this being manifested? I am not content to wait for the millennium to see it manifested. I look for the day when one night all of the students in a dorm room at Boston U have dreams of Jesus, because something broke in the heavens. And I'm believing for that. I tell you, I feel like God's given for 40 days. We prayed in California, 
prayed that homosexuals would be converted. We resisted the ideology, the spirits behind the ideology, but we prayed for the conversion of students. I mean, prayed for the conversion of homosexuals. November 4th, 2008, November 1st, I think it was, we had to call 35,000 people gathered in the stadium to pray that God would break through. I had a dream years ago given to me that in this dream I saw a young man, and he was, and my friend saw a young man weeping, and he walks up to me and says, you're weeping because you can't get free from your homosexuality. Isn't that right? The guy weeps, yeah, I can't get free. And in the dream, he saw massive praying hands rising over the skyline of San Francisco. I tell you, God wants to raise up a massive prayer movement that converts and saves and frees homosexuals. We don't agree with the lifestyle or the ideology, but we love the people, and we bind those powers of darkness so they can be loosed and see. It was November, early November, we prayed. Forty days of fasting were done. A couple of years go by, I'm there in California, I walk, I go, I'm at a church, a young lady comes up to me, maybe middle-aged lady, and she said, I was a radical lesbian activist. But in November 2008, I don't know what happened. But I had a soul-like conversion, and the love of God broke into my life in such a way I never, ever could have dreamed the love of God. It totally, radically changed my life. Oh, I tell you, you get enough praying like that, thousands begin to lift up hands. I'm believing for 100,000 gay and lesbian men and women to have conversions like Saul and be led to a street called Straight. That's what happens when something has busted the demonic veil so that everyone gets saved. Come on. Folks, we're playing games with prayer. Folks, can I say the greatest need of the church is the same revelation that Joshua had? That revelation was given to Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If there's one prayer that we need to pray, God, give us a revelation of the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lift your hands for a moment. Father, we pray, oh God, all across the land, release a revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, I pray that this will become a prayer in Boston, that men and women will be crying, Give us a revelation of Jesus. It's not enough for methods. It's not enough to know how. We need a revelation that releases faith and power. Father, I pray God, raise up this prayer in Boston in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you. Make this your constant prayer. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I've got to know Christ. I tell you, we have to have a revelation. Amen? Peter got a revelation, and suddenly it's like Jesus explodes. Oh, gosh, Peter, you've got it. Finally, you've got it. Now, with that revelation, he says, I'm going to do something that will freak out every gate of hell. Now, come on. Don't bother me. I'm going to read this, and I cannot just pass this over into the millennium. I believe for full millennium takeover of Jesus, but until that day, this scripture was given to his apostles, and he meant it to happen now, not just in the future. What did he say?
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. I don't know what I, I like that. He, 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 God's given him a new name. You get a new revelation, you get a new identity. God wants to baptize us in confidence. We're not second stringers walking around Boston overwhelmed with the huge demonic powers and all the political and all the philosophy stuff. You are Peter. I can't help but thinking you're the, he said you're the stone. I wonder if Peter at times laid in his bed at nights and thought if he had a bed, foxes that it holds and everything else. Son of man has no place to lay his bed and Peter followed him. Maybe just sat under that moon at night. And he would think about the stone that was in David's sling oh, that took down Goliath. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the stone that he's going to use. Or that stone of Daniel that was thrown against the great mountain of the kingdoms of the earth. And that mountain was crushed and became like powder. But that little stone became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Come on, you are a stone. We need an identity change. And that identity change comes from a revelation. You don't need a self-help book. You don't need some psychologist from Boston. One word from God will baptize you into your confidence and calling. We've got enough self-help, guys. Most people in psychology departments got into that because they needed help. That's why I took psychology and got my BA or BS, whatever it was. I mean, sorry, <laughs> behavioral science. <laughs> it was smoke and mirrors. I'll tell you what, get somebody who can cast out demons. We'll be taking care of a lot of problems. Oh God, we gotta get a demon casting out anointing. Where is it? We're so afraid to deal with demonic realm, afraid we might get hurt. In Argentina, ask Brian. <laughs> That's a side story. And they go in there, listen to me, Satan. People begin manifesting demons and getting cast out demons. What's wrong with this? I tell you, some God's gonna raise up some guys out of nowhere, some Peters and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. I'm preaching. I'm not there. But I refuse just because I haven't experienced. I want the Word of God to dictate my expectations, not my experience. We need to let the Word of God dictate our expectations. He says to you, he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Come on. This, this is too much. Now listen, this is a little Bible story. You're going to stick with me tonight? Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi. He's been in Galilee, takes a 20, 30-mile hike with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Jesus doesn't just take walks because he likes to, to, to hike. 
He's a man on a mission. He knows what he's about. He is discipling the future apostles that will change the whole world. He takes them on a walk 30 miles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar and Herod Philip, whatever his name was, whatever. Now he comes to this place there in, in uh, uh, northeastern Israel, and you, you got to understand Jesus' words in this passage and the context possibly in which he said them. Went to the rabbi, follow the rabbi.com, it's very interesting, I encourage you to go there. In Caesarea Philippi, there is a massive cliff, a rock, a hundred feet high, five hundred feet wide. And in this rock at Caesarea Philippi, there are all these shrines to the god Pan. The god Pan was a, a sexual god that every year Pan would die, and so they want him to resurrect in the spring. It's Baal worship. So every spring what they would do is they would have sex rites in the most vile sex trafficking right there at that rock where the shrines to Pan were, and they would have open sexual activities, the, the, the most pagan, I can't even go, barbarian sexual activities. There were other shrines there, the shrines to the Caesars. The other place they'd go, there was a, they think another god there, his name is Nemeth, Nemesis, the Roman god Nemesis. By the way, Nemesis is something that a man can't conquer. And they would worship there. And here's this massive rock. I think when they, in, in this rock, there was a cave at the bottom and a spring would come out of that cave. Now the Greeks thought that the underworld came, there was places where the entrances to the underworld or the powers of Hades or the powers of the demonic underworld. And there at this very place where this cave was, the spring would come out, they called it, actually they called the place the gates of Hades. Now you take the context, here's Jesus. I believe he came with his disciples. They said, I believe that very possibly he could have been taking them a 30-mile walk and standing him right in front of this massive rock with all its sex violence. It's like taking his disciples into the red light district. Could he have been saying, first of all, I believe, he said, you are Peter, and on, could you imagine, upon this rock, pointing to himself, the revelation that you've just gotten of who I am upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. The dark underworld, the, dem the demonic powers will not prevail against it. Upon this rock, this revelation, I will build my ecclesia, my ruling body. But could he have also been saying, and upon this rock, come on, the rock of the gods, they actually called the place the rock of the gods, uh, upon this rock, I'll build my church and my church will dominate it. Come on. My church will prevail and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What if he was saying, 
I'm going to take my people to the hardest, darkest places of the earth. I'm going to release a movement of revelation of who I am. I'm going to send my disciples as an ecclesia, praying company. And when they go into these places, I'll send them to the darkest, hardest places of the earth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that company that I send. Oh, I tell you, the rock of the gods in Boston, the gods of their humanistic I tell you, the humanistic gods will not stand before the revelation of Christ, the Son of the living God. I wrote in my, this book, A House That Contends. If I can find it. I said this. These words of Jesus and the mind-bending implications of them shatter all earthly boundaries as to the measure of authority, power, and influence Jesus has given to his praying church. Let me say it again. The mind-bending implications of these words I've just read shatter all earthly boundaries as to the measure of authority, power, and influence Jesus has given to his praying church. Not even the gates of Hades, the powers of death, of which nothing on earth is stronger shall exceed the church in strength. It is a statement which, if laid hold of by faith, could redefine our expectancies for breakthrough in every place and circumstance where Satan boasts his dominion. In other words, I will build my church at the gates of Boston U, at Harvard, and the gates of death and their false philosophies will not prevail against it. Folks, the implications of this are huge. Then what's wrong when our little churches are barely surviving? Nothing's wrong with what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to have to build something. And we've got to let him build it. I think we've built our own thing. And I think God wants to build something else. He said, I'll build my church. A young man named Napoleon was in the army of the great general Napoleon. Napoleon was expecting his troops walked by this young Napoleon guy, and he was so afraid, skinny Napoleon, and he was just shaking. And Napoleon, the general, looks at him and, says, and sees this shaking young man and says, what's your name? And the guy says, my name's Napoleon. Napoleon says, change your, live up to your name or change it. problem is we've lived up to our name. The word church actually is derived from a word kirke, Scottish, from the word kiriotos oikos, house of the Lord. That's where we get our word church, from kirke, which means from kiriotos oikos in Greek, the house of the Lord. It came to mean the building that they went to or the company that gathered together. They were called out and gathered together. But when Jesus wrote the words, he didn't write kiriakos oikos, he wrote the, wrote the word ecclesia. 
And the word ecclesia, everybody knew what it was. It had been around for 400 years, and it was this. It was the ruling body of the Greek city-state. It was those who were called out of the Greek city-state who were able to vote and make declarations of war. When he said, I will build my church, he didn't say, my, get, my, my house. I will build my ruling body in the earth. Come on. I... The problem is we go to church when we should be going to the ruling body. Get up in the morning. Oh, no, I got to go to church. But then you have a paradigm. Ring. Alarm clock goes. Oh, I'm going to the ruling body. Now that would change your paradigm. You don't go to prayer meetings. You go to the ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's what he was saying. And whatever you bind in heaven, on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm asking the Lord, please, in my lifetime, give me a revelation of what that means. It is so mind-bending, the implications, whatever, what say, whatever, 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 say it, whatever. I mean, it is a blank check. We don't have faith. Whatever you, I tell you, God wants to do some binding, some allowing and disallowing. And we don't get it yet. But I tell you what, God is going to give his last day's church a revelation. Jesus intends this passage to be fulfilled. He will do it. But we've got to start getting our paradigms shifted. So we understand who he is and who we are and then what we're meant to do. That's why Jesus is raising up a house of prayer. Not raising up just a gathering. He's raising up a contending company who can deal with the demonic realms through binding and loosing. I believe the day is coming when massive jailbreaks are going to take place because the church has got, a, uh, maybe my next session I'll teach on Matthew 18 because I don't have time on the constitution of the community. Folks, the problem isn't what Jesus promised. He just hasn't gotten the community together that he needs to build so that he can, not, so he can prevail. I want, to, I, I want to see the walls of intellectualism shattered by miracles. <laughs> so this is how it can happen. Friend of mine prays for 20 years for a cult, worldwide church of God. 20 years he prays day after day after day for it to become an evangelical church. Sometimes you've got to pray long enough. My friend Ed Hackett had a dream in which he was a huge, huge, massive giant, stone giant, his nemesis, and he'd take his, his hammer, bam, and hit that thing, nothing. 
A hundred times he hits that, and then the giant just crumbles. All the stone just crumbles, and he hears a voice, and it says, which strike was the most important? Come on, you just keep hammering, you Brazilian wild man. Bang, bang. Your, your last dying breath, you bang on the walls of Harvard until finally, because every strike in the spirit realm is doing damage in the kingdom. There comes a day when the walls of intellectualism fall, revival breaks out, and everyone, student missions movements break out. You just keep going. I tell you, in Pasadena, all my friends wanted out of Pasadena. They left. They went to IHOP. They went to the vineyard in California. And a prophet came through my, our place and says, because I wanted to go with them. I wanted to find the wells of revival somewhere else. And, the, and she gives me a prophetic word. You're always looking at other people's wells, but there's a well beneath your feet. Dig it. And while my friends left, I dug and fasted and dug, and then wells broke up and passed it, and thousands came to the anointing of the Spirit. I tell you, you just keep going and refuse to bail out in the dry times. And that was this 20 years he prays, and then one night in a night watch, Probably 300 of us are praying all night long, and the Spirit of God speaks to us prophetically. Bind the Spirit over the strong men of the worldwide church of God. Notice the word strong man. The name of the leader was called Armstrong. Woke up in the morning, the leader died that night. And his successor turned it into an evangelical church. See, when the strong man is bound, the captives go free. Sometimes that strong man comes, is bound in an individual. And in that case, it was the strong man, Armstrong. I'm not saying we prayed for his death. I'm saying God can deal with Herod. He can deal with pagan professors once the church begins to get into that place of authority. Derek Prince tells of the story, the Jewish people in, in Russia, Stalin was the leader of Russia, was planning a pogrom, which was a purging of the Jew, Russian Jews. Derek Prince heard about it, felt like the Lord said, call a day of fasting and prayer. All, all over, wherever his connections were, they fasted and prayed. And they prayed that God would break through into the situation. A week later, the answer came in a bizarre way. Stalin just fell dead. No reason. There was no clue in terms of six, but he fell dead. And they called it, from that point on, the era of de-Stalinization. How's that for great The era of D stuff. What would they call it in Boston if it happened? The era of dehumanization. I don't know why that's not a good word. (laughs) 
and the pogroms never took place, and Stalin's daughter got converted to a Jewish man, Jesus Christ. A guy named Raymond Lowell, 1300s, one of the first missionaries to the Muslims, said that Muslims are best won to Christ by love, tears, fasting, and martyrdom. They martyred him in a city in northern Africa in Algeria. 700 years go by, a group of YWAMers, as I understand it, goes to the city and prays, and suddenly Overnight, the whole city, old town of 450 people, everybody in the city has a dream of Jesus. Everybody. And starts a massive North African revival that is keeping going. Folks, I want to give us faith that a day can come when suddenly the veil is rent because the ecclesia. See, Jesus, when he says this, he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he begins from that moment on saying, and I must go to the cross. Now Peter, who has a revelation of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, now says to him, you don't need to go to the cross. And Jesus says, Satan, I rebuke you. One moment he's got a revelation, not flesh and blood. The next moment the devil's talking to him. See, he understood dominion, but he didn't understand the pathway to dominion. The pathway to dominion is suffering. It's the cross. Someone's going to have to die for Boston. Jesus has already died, but he looks for earth beings that love Jesus so much. They said, ride over on my dead body for the sake. I could tell you stories, but I'm not going to. I believe that Raymond Lowell, his offering of the cross, his sacrifice, moved angels and demons, and the seed of the martyrs was watered by the prayers of the saints. Folks, they've been praying in Boston for centuries. Isn't it centuries? Sure they have. I got to believe the day is coming when the heavens get ripped open because a group of people start watering the seeds of Jonathan Edwards and the student missions movement leaders, the men that went to their death in the fields of, of, of China and India. Come on, I got to believe that God is going to remove and shake it. He'll shake them. The walls of intellectualism and a great jailbreak go will go through. Recently we had a call in Sacramento. A group of kids went and fasted a strike team for 21 days. And the call came, and the spirit of intercession and travail was poured out on these kids. I saw it myself the night after the call. The kids were around a, a, just sharing their testimonies, and one girl suddenly is caught up, and she says, oh, there's so many going to hell, and breaks into travail. Whatever it was, just wailing, just wailing. I saw it with my own eyes. I, and an explosion of wailing spontaneously broke out there in Elk Grove right outside of Sacramento. It went on for hours. I left. I, I got to get my family home. But the kids travailed. Whatever word you want to use, they wept for souls, and it was spontaneous. We received a report some months later, starting that month, 2,000 souls came to Christ 
Five high schools in Elk Grove now have 700 students gathering there. Muslims are being saved. Something broke through. And I'm not content that Jesus would say these words, and we don't see it in America. I'm not content. And I'm saying, God, would you make me one of those? I'll go to the cross and say, over my dead body, I'll be an intercessor for Boston. Give me souls. Break the walls of intellect and set them free. May these dorms be filled with dreams tonight, all of Jesus. I got lists of prophecies, and I'll give you the last one. You know the story, many of you do, many of you don't. But all the prophetic history we have of Boston is conflict with ideologies. And Dutch Sheets, a friend of mine, and I came into Boston years ago, now, I don't know how many years ago, we prayed at Boston, at that night we were talking, we prayed at Harvard, and Dutch said, I just feel like we're to go back to Harvard and pray tonight. And so I said, yeah, me too, I don't feel like we're done praying. So we didn't know where Harvard was, but we drove to where we thought Harvard was. And we kind of got lost, and then we started seeing students all over the place, and we're thinking, well, maybe this is Harvard, maybe Harvard's everywhere. <laughs> Finally, we said, oh, there's a dark alley, let's, let's just pull into this dark street here and just get out and we can pray because we're close enough. Dark out, late at night. We can make out there's a little gate. And we go walk through, we can, and we go into, you can see three buildings uh, dimly lit. Some of you probably, if you're from Harvard, know Harvard, you know this place. Three big uh, buildings, and we could, you could hardly see, uh, and there was a lawn right there. It was dark. And Dutch said, well, just pray. So I went to one building, started praying, and suddenly he starts saying, Lou, this is the place we're supposed to pray. I run over, and it's the philosophy building of Harvard. He said, Lou, this is the place I wrote about in my book, where the then professor or the president of Harvard asked, they were building a new philosophy building, and he asked uh, the head of the, uh, the philosophy department, what do you want to be engraved on your building? And he said, I want to be engraved, man is the measure of all things. The president put up a scaffolding and a tarp, and they began to chisel away. Nobody knew what was being chiseled. And when they brought down the tarp and the scaffolding, it wasn't man is the measure of all things. It is what is man that thou art mindful of him. I want to tell you something. Those kinds of prophetic things don't happen to make you happy. They give you an idea of the battle that's going on. What are the chances that in the middle of the night, a group of us were lost, not even knowing we're in Harvard, and we step in front of the very building that he wrote about in a book? Psalms 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory is chanted in the heavens. It's the, it's the chapter 6 of Isaiah, the great 
seraphim, cherubim, worshiping, holy, your glory is chanted in the heavens. And then it says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you've ordained praise because of your adversaries to cause the enemy and the adversary to cease what's being chanted, the greatness of the worship in the heavens. He's looking for earth beings, little worship leaders, end of silence group, who begin to proclaim and worship God right where they're worshiping. Man is the measure of all things. They said, oh, what is man that thou art mindful of? When they consider the heavens, the work of their fingers, the sun and the moon that you have made, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You see, a revelation of the majestic one. You begin to understand what is man. You are a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. You are meant out of your little prayer chants to silence the foes of humanism and all their false pagan philosophies. Folks, this is who we are. And I knew the Lord set the stage, and it was at that field, that place, where I called Bethany and said, take your stand and start every day to throw that Goliath David stone at that Goliath. And you just keep flinging it. Simply speak the word. What is man that our mindful of him will conquer? Man is the measure of all things. You do that. Demon powers of summers come under David's stone, and Goliath falls, and the head gets cut off. And students get freed to believe in Jesus. I'm looking for a jailbreak. And Jesus is looking for a jailbreak. It was in this very building where we hold those 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And my friend Chris Bergen had a dream. In the dream, he saw all these students with welts on their, fo on their foreheads. And in the dream, he hears... This is poison ivy. What was meant for the healing of the nations has poisoned the minds of a whole generation. God doesn't give dreams like that just to make us informed that we have actual philosophy problems in the minds of a generation. He gives us dreams like that to show us his intention. He wants the Ivy League schools to be for the healing of the nations. Your calling is a student missions movement to go disciples of the earth and the truth of Jesus Christ. But poison ivy has penetrated a whole generation of minds. Your job description, if you would so choose to take it, mission impossible. It's to be a part of an ecclesia that these gates will not prevail against it. I've stood at those gates of Harvard and we've proclaimed it. And I believe it. Jesus is going to find his ecclesia. And when he does, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Stand with me. Right now, all across this place, I want you to begin to break off hopelessness, break off despair and unbelief. Jesus said, these are the red letter edition words of Jesus. He said, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's his words. That means that Harvard is in trouble.
God's going to raise up apostles every bit. Men fasting in prayer. He'll raise up stones and he'll challenge. God's going to send companies, covenant bands of praying men and women who will challenge the sex trafficking rocks of the gods. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Father, I pray, I break, we break off unbelief right now. You break it off. Said, I'm going back to prayer. I'm going to pull off the prophecies off the shelf. I will never stop. I will keep striking, striking. Some of you feel disqualified. So was Peter. And he became the stone that Jesus hurled. Acts 2, he lifted up his voice and 3,000 came to Christ at one time. Those days are not over with. Those days are coming again. Right now, break the lie off of your own minds. Break the accuser. Some of you, I want you to come forward and say, I am re-enlisting. I am re-enlisting in the prayer movement. You said, I want to break off the spirit. Some of you may need to come forward say, God, here I am. In the place we did 40 days and 40 nights, I believe God is answering those prayers. You want to come forward, you can make a, a declaration here. Say, God, I'm getting back onto the field. of Zion are going to contend with the sons of Greece. The philosophies of the Greeks are going to be challenged by the sons of Zion in the universities of America. He's going to raise up prayer furnaces in every university. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar will be shaken. Professors will be converted. Father, come on these men and women and infuse them with the spirit of faith. Release dreams and visions. Begin to release dreams again. Break the nightmare. Release the dreams of hope. Dreams of, of the future. Tonight we declare homosexuals will be radically converted to Jesus. Muslims in Harvard will have dreams of Jesus. And the powers of death will not prevail. Father, I stand before you tonight with my brothers and sisters before the very hosts of heaven. Myriads of angels and 10,000s upon 10,000, we lift up our eyes to the one, the Son of Man, who has been given a kingdom and dominion. We worship you, God. We declare before the principalities and powers Man is the measure of all things. 
will be brought down by what is man that thou art mindful of him. We proclaim it to the gods, the little G gods over Boston. We proclaim the manifesto of Jesus Christ. The gates of the philosophies of men will not prevail against the ecclesia of God. We make a public declaration before the principalities and powers Humanism will be shaken. We call forth the sound of Psalms 8 out of the mouth of the praying little ones. The mouth of worshipers to challenge the foe and the avenger and to silence the voice of false philosophies. Raise up weapons like life tape, life bands, the wisdom. We loose the wisdom of God to the ecclesia. We call forth the two or three ecclesias in every dorm room, every dormitory, every university in the region. We proclaim in Jesus' name that Boston and New England, you will raise up for the healing of the nations. We declare there is a balm in Gilead for the poison ivy. We apply the blood of Jesus tonight over this region, God. Tonight, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would release dreams to radical activists, Muslim activists, God. Release dreams. I release dreams tonight. Dreams all over this city, all over Boston, in every university, every dorm room. Loose dreams of Jesus. We call it forth, God. Release the messengers of God the fiery ones that do your bidding. Now I want you just to pre begin to proclaim, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Begin to proclaim it. Thou art the Christ. The Son of the living God, say it with me. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We proclaim it. We proclaim the revelation you gave. 
not flesh and blood. We loose it, God. Say it. Begin to proclaim it. Thou art the Christ. Just begin to proclaim it. Pro proclaim it in song. <laughs> 